0: Hey, church family, I-, I am so glad to be together here with you. I'm glad that uh, you've chosen to worship with us. If this is your first time worshiping in this space, worshiping with us as a, as a church family, just want to say welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, it is my extra honor and joy to open up God's word with you. And uh, as we... Lean into what God has for us today. I pray that we would continue to echo these songs that we've been singing, that, uh, that the Lion and the Lamb would show up and manifest his presence, that the Holy Spirit would come and move amongst us and move in our midst, and uh, that we, we would receive something special and you would hear the voice of God here today. Because that's at the end of the day, friends, that's what I want. I want you to hear from the voice of your Heavenly Father more than you do from me, more than you do from the worship band, or more than you hear from anyone. I want you to leave here feeling like you've heard from the heart of God here this morning. And so i um, glad to be opening up God's word here with you. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Judges chapter 6 and just kind of hold your place there for the moment. Judges chapter 6 is where we're going to be looking here today. Judges is in the Old Testament right after the book of Joshua and right before the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, as you're finding your place in Judges 6, I want to start this morning off with a question. It's a simple one. In fact, it is the very uh, title of the message here today that we're anchoring on. And that question is very simply, what do you fear? What do you fear? What are, you, are, are there things in your life that you are afraid of? Grown up, I think I shared this at one point or another, um, but, but grown up, I was deathly afraid of the dark. Anyone afraid of the dark at some point or another in your life, right? Like, it's okay if you're afraid of the dark today, it's okay, you can raise your hand. I, I happen to get, have gotten over that fear, but that fear for me started when I was a young 12-year-old boy. I was first introduced to the 1973 classic, The Exorcist. And I got to tell you, man, that movie just about ruined my life, okay? Like, now I realize watching that movie today is a little comical. I get it. You know, next to movies like... You know, the haunting on this hill and that mansion and that lake and the conjuring this and the conjuring that. Like, I get it. The exorcist seems like child play. But to me, back then, that was as scary as it got. And it ruined my life. I remember the lights would turn off every night. My mom would come in, shut the lights, say goodnight. And immediately, I would see a little demon-possessed girl in my head with her head spinning around, projectile vomiting anywhere, everywhere. I said, nope turning the lights back on. I can't do this. And I, and I lived my life that way for a number of years until I got over that fear of the dark. Now, in more recent years, um, I grew fearful of flying. As a kid, I used to love jumping on the airplane. My fam- our family used to travel to different places, and I would always want the window seat. I want to look out the window and see the landscape and see us taking off and all of these things. I used to absolutely love flying. I thought flying was the coolest thing. But ever since 9-11, I had this underlying fear growing in my underbelly of dying by way of plane crash. I remember I was a, I was a freshman in college, uh, when my eyes were glued to the TV screen as reports from the Twin Towers started rolling in and didn't know what to make of it at the moment. But since then, I've had to battle this fear of flying. In fact, uh, even today, you know, I've gotten much better over the years and I can fly, you know, without, mostly without a problem. But uh, every once in a while, if we hit some turbulence, that fear will come roaring back to the forefront with a vengeance and it's strong. now. Friends, I could go on and on. You know, I, I got a fear of heights. I got a fear of roller coasters. I got a fear of this and that and this and that. Maybe you can kind of rattle off a number of fears. But again, let me ask you this morning, what do you fear? What do you fear? You know, it's funny. As, as much as I just rattled off all these things I'm afraid of, I got to say, I, I generally, honestly, I generally don't think of myself as a fearful person as a fear-based person, you know what I mean? Like they're fearful people that, that you know in your life that are afraid of basically everything, they're everything phobic, you know, like it's just every they live life in fear in some capacity. And to me, I just, I never understood that. I never quite perceive life in that way. And so maybe for you, you're the same way. I ask you, what do you fear? Maybe your response to me might be, gee, I don't really know. I, I don't really think of my life in that way. And so you might conclude this morning that fear isn't a dominant emotion in my life. Therefore, it's not something I struggle with. And that may be true to a certain degree. But can I suggest to you here today that we all, every single one of us, we all have different kinds of fears that are deeply embedded into the DNA of our lives. Now, some may be more apparent than others, uh, some may be more crippling than others. Some may have uh, more of a, a, a deeper, more profound impact on our everyday lives than others. For instance, my fear of heights may not affect my everyday living. After all, I don't find myself walking along the side of a cliff every, every day. You know, that's not, that's not an everyday occurrence to that, that happens in my life. But I will say, the fear of not measuring up or the fear of not succeeding in life or in my line of work is even more deeply felt on a regular basis than my very tangible fear of heights. You see, friends, we are all deeply impacted by fears in our lives, whether we like to admit it or not. Now, listen, that doesn't make you a fearful person. That doesn't make you a fear-based person. All it means is that these fears in our lives are real, and they do impact our lives in some real ways. And it would be naive of us at best and foolish of us at worst to think otherwise. And you want to know one of the places where our fears manifest the clearest? It's often in the wilderness. The wilderness has a way of bringing up our fears to the surface in some profound ways. Those moments in our lives where, of testing and trial have a way of unearthing our deepest fears and bringing them to the surface in some profound ways. And one of the most prominent stories in the Bible of this very thing happening is found in the life of Gideon. Now, I, I've preached on Gideon before in the past. And some of the things that we mentioned today may sound just slightly familiar to you. But I want to I do a deep dive into Gideon's journey and maybe look at his story from a slightly different angle than we, we, maybe we have in the past if you've been with us here at ACF. And I got to say, I, I absolutely love Gideon's story. I love Gideon because Gideon, as you'll see in just a moment, is... He's just a regular, ordinary dude wrestling with his fears like many of us. And yet, God uses him in some incredible, incredible ways. But first, we find him in the wilderness. Of all places, we find him in the wilderness. And what do we find him in the wilderness doing? Wrestling with his fears. Now, today, we're only going to read the first portion of Gideon's story. Uh, we're going to look at Gideon 6 verses 1 through 16, but I'm going to actually kind of move through the j- journey of Gideon and his progression that's actually mapped out in, in, in Judges chapter 6 through 8. Now, we're not going to read all three chapters, but I would encourage you at your own time, maybe this week at some point, go ahead and read through Gideon's story. It is just amazing. It's it, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. But today, we're going to just read the first portion of Judges chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 1. And uh, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, I've had some some members of our church family come up and read scripture for us, because I think that's just a good habit to do, you know, just to have the body of Christ honor the word of God by reading the word of God out loud. Uh, but I also see a lot of value in, in providing different voices within our church family to read scripture. And so this morning, I'm, I've asked Miranda to come on up and uh, read for us Judges chapter 6 verses 1 through 16 if you have your Bible's open you could read along there or this the text will be up on the screen so we're going to read away
1: the people of Israel did what was evil in sight of the Lord and the Lord gave into the hand of Midian seven years and the hand of Midian overpowered Israel and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds for whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Alchemites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up in their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number, but they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abrazite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, Why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, please Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest and Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man.
0: Thank you, Miranda. Appreciate you reading that. Thank you. Now, friends, here in the opening verses in Judges chapter 6, we get a brief introduction to this prophet, or uh, better yet, judge, named Gideon. And would you know that one of the key characteristics that make Gideon Gideon is actually fear? It's his fear that's one of the key markers that makes up Gideon. See, in this passage, when the angel of the Lord shows up to Gideon, you gotta understand, you find him sort of in an interesting position. The text says that he was beating out wheat or or threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, I've talked about this before in the past, but if you don't know already, the topography of this text is important. In, In other words, in the ancient world, You would essentially collect and harvest wheat by gathering it together, by gathering the crops and hauling it up to a place that was called the threshing floor. And the threshing floor was this place where you would separate the grain from the chaff. That was the process of harvesting the grains of wheat and so this process of separation was usually assisted by the wind. And so that's why they would bring this to the threshing floor where these threshing floors were typically located in sort of these higher hilltop regions on these elevated points of the land. And so that when the people were separating the wheat from the chaff, the the wind would just blow the chaff away and it would help in the harvesting process. Now, on the other hand, you have wine presses. And these wine presses were usually located in the lower regions, often hidden and tucked away in dark cavernous places so that the the outdoor elements wouldn't ruin and harm the winemaking process. One might say that topographically speaking, the threshing floor and the wine press were indeed on opposite ends of the spectrum. And here we find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, why is he doing that? Well, the very simple answer is because he was afraid. He was afraid. In fact, the text tells us that he's hiding out here in the wine press out of fear of the Midianites. And would you know that this fear comes roaring to the surface when the angel shows up and he tells Gideon, hey, go out and strike down the Midianites who are oppressing God's people. I'm calling you, Gideon. I'm sending you. I'm choosing you. And what's his response? Are you nuts? <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's the Dan Min translation. Are you out of your mind? Right? Like, do you, do you not see what's happening? I don't know if you've noticed, angel of the Lord, but my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and me, I'm the least in my family line. I'm the least likely candidate to do this job that you seem to be calling me to do. I don't know if you see what's happening here, but I'm threshing wheat in a wine press. A.K.A. I am hiding out until the dust out there settles. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving from this spot. Gideon is gripped by fear in this very moment. But it's not just in this moment. Because again, we didn't read this section of scripture today, but later on in this passage, God calls Gideon to go out, and before he battles the Midianites, before he sends them off into war, he's got to take care of some family business first. He's going to take care of some issues of sin in his own camp, within his own family. By the way, I think there's a whole message in in there in and of itself. We gotta, if we want, if we want the provisions of God and the blessings of God to go before us, there are some issues of sin in our own camp that we need to deal with and come to a place of repentance and confession first and foremost. But again, different message for a different time and place. But God essentially commissions Gideon, hey, you gotta take care of the sin in your family and in your uh, in your camp. And so God tells Gideon to go out and destroy the altars of Baal and the Asherah poles. No, these were monuments that were set up for these false pagan gods of, of, of Baal and Asherah. And they, they, they set up these monuments in, in assumption that these gods, these false pagan gods, would essentially deliver the Israelites from this time of trial and hardships. The Israelites were looking to these gods to be their deliverer, to be their source of power. And God's not having it. He's not, he's not playing along. And, and so he says, listen... If I'm going to send you out and I'm going to give you the victory, you got to take care of some sin issues in your own camp first. And so he tells Gideon to go out and destroy these altars. Now, you don't need to turn there. If you have the text in front of you, you can look along. But in chapter 6, verse 27, it says this. So Gideon took men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was, what, too afraid, he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it. By night. Once again, Gideon is gripped by fear. He's driven by fear. But the the fear train, don't stop there. The fear train keeps chugging along here, as you'll see. Because shortly thereafter that, Gideon is now afraid. Okay, now he's afraid that God's not going to come through. That God's going to send him out and somehow he's going to leave him hanging out to dry. And that that God's going to abandon him in his greatest moment of need. And so what does Gideon do? He puts God to the test. How does he do that? By laying out a fleece on the ground and seeing if God will come through. If you grew up in the church, you may may know of this. You may have heard of this as the, the famous fleece test of Gideon. He lays out this fleece and says, Okay, God, the next morning, if there's dew on the fleece, but the ground is dry, I'll know you're in this. I'll know you're with me in this. And so lo and behold, the next morning comes, and it's exactly as Gideon had requested. The fleece was wet, and the ground around it was dry. But Gideon is still wrestling with his fear. He's still not convinced. In fact, if you read the text, you see kind of his posture. He's like, okay, God, don't get mad. Let me just ask one more time. All right, let's just try this one more time, except let's do this in reverse, okay? And so God, make the fleece dry and make the ground around it wet. And the next morning comes, and would you know that the fleece was dry, but the ground was wet, and now Gideon is battle ready, right? Or is he? <laughs> because as you'll see, the story progresses on. And in chapter 7, it's now God's turn to test Gideon. Long story short, again, guys, you got to read the story. its I, I, I'm not even doing it justice here this morning. But long story short, God trims down Gideon's army. Gideon gathers all the men of his town and all the men of Israelites, gathered them together, and it numbered around uh, around 32,000 men. And God trims down that army of 32,000 to just 300 men to go out and fight the Midianites, who, by the way, were massive in numbers. The text, at several different points, indicates that the Midianites, there were so many of them, they they were virtually uncountable, they were innumerable. I mean, just their camels alone, it was overwhelming. And just their animals and livestock, It was like, they, they described it as a sea of locusts. It was like the, you couldn't even count it like the sand of a seashore. And Gideon was now supposed to go out to battle against this massive, giant army with just 300 men. And guess what? With what? Not with swords, not with any shield or armor, but with a trumpet in one hand and a jar in the other. (laughs) Again, I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. You ought to read it. It's really good stuff. We're not going to unpack all of those details here. But long story short, Gideon sends, God sends Gideon out with his 300 men to go out and fight the Midianites. You think Gideon was a little scared at this point? Slowly by surely, God's trimming down the army. Hey, these guys, send them home. We don't need them he's like, are you sure, God? You, you, you want to go back to the drawing board on that one? Okay, all right, I, I, try, I trust you. The fleece thing, I get it. Okay, send him back, send him back. Gideon, uh, still too many, you got to send him back. You got to send him back. Like, God, I don't know if you know how the 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 economy of of warring works but we need more people than our opponents we can't keep trimming this thing down and god's like trust me trust me, keep trimming it down you think gideon might have been scared just a little bit nervous at this point in fact in chapter 7 god says to gideon look at look at what god says to him that same night the lord said to him arise go down against the camp for i have given it into your hand verse 10 but if you are afraid If you're afraid, do you think God might have had a sneaking suspicion that Gideon was wrestling with his fear still at this moment? If you're afraid, here's, I'm going to give you an insurance policy here. If you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterward, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Church family, all throughout Gideon's journey through the wilderness, we find him wrestling with fear. And there will be wilderness moments in our lives where we will find ourselves wrestling with our fears in our core. Here's the truth of the matter, folks. God is always presenting to us opportunities where we can respond with either faith or fear. That's our big idea for today. If, if there's anything that we gather from, from Gideon's story and the stories of scripture and the stories of antiquity, it's this principle right here that God is always presenting to us opportunities where we can respond to him with either faith or fear. There are these opportunities that God brings along our path Where he says, okay, people of God, sons and daughters of God, are you going to respond to me in this moment in faith or fear? And friends, I I think you might be able to gather from the tone of this message that the right answer is that he actually wants us to respond to him, not in fear, but in faith. But then the question is, how do we do that? How do we practically do that? What does that look like? How do we respond to God with faith as opposed to fear? And my hope and prayer is that we would get, grab hold of this. Uh, I'm just going to run through a couple of quick points here in these next few moments. And my, my hope is that we grab hold of this, even if those, there are those of us here that say, ah, Fear is not a dominant emotion in my life, therefore I don't really struggle with fear. My hope is that you might be able to dig just a little bit deeper and find those places where fear has a role and, and it plays a role in our lives. Now, some of us don't need to dig that deep. Some of us are like, yep, I feel that fear on a regular basis. In fact, we're going to touch on some of those here in just a moment. But, but how, do we, how do we respond to God? If God is presenting to us opportunities to respond to him either in faith or fear, How do we respond to him in faith as opposed to fear? Well, the first is this. We need to identify and name the fear. We need to identify and name the fear. Why? Because you cannot fight what you do not know. You cannot fight what you do not know. You see, Gideon knew clearly what he was afraid of. Whether he wanted to admit it to himself or not, he knew what he was afraid of. He was afraid of the Midianites. That's why he was hiding out in the wine press, threshing wheat to keep it from the Midianites. Gideon was afraid of his family. That's why he tore down the altars of Baal at night, and he didn't do it during the day. Gideon was afraid that God wasn't going to be with him in battle. That's why he put out that fleece and tested God in that moment. You see, in order to respond to God with faith instead of fear, we have to know what it is that we fear. And if you're not so sure what kinds of fears there are, maybe you're, you're like me, it's like, yeah, I got, I got certain phobias, but none of them are like real like deep or profound. But, you know, and so if you're like, what kinds of fears are you suggesting that I name and identify? Let me offer up some as possible fears that some of us might face from time to time. The fear of abandonment. The fear of loneliness. The fear of making the wrong decision or the wrong choice. We're crippled by overanalyzing. The fear of missing out, the fear of rejection or getting hurt by someone, the fear of being wrong, the fear of being on the wrong side of the argument, the fear of offending someone, or the fear of being offended by someone. You guard yourself and you sh- put yourself in a bubble in a shell as so because you are driven by this fear of either offending or being offended, the fear of disappointing others. the fear of being. ...labeled or seen as a disappointment to people in your life. I struggle with that one deeply. The fear of being misunderstood. People not understanding you or not seeing you... ...or not hearing you. The fear of failure or not making it. I I mentioned that just a few moments ago. The fear of inadequacy. The fear of not being enough. The fear of not measuring up. The fear of uncertainty... And when you think about the future, there's fear that grips you because you fear what is uncertain and you fear losing control of your life. You fear the lack of control. You fear stepping out or trying something new. You fear change or any kind of instability that comes your way that rocks your foundation that breeds greater insecurity. You, you, you fear loss, any, any kind of loss, literally any loss. Like this world is full of providing and dishing out losses, And we fear loss, and some of us fear death, quite literally. Now, that's just a short list. We could tack on that list another couple of dozens of fears that that we didn't even touch on or mention here this morning. That's just a sample of what many of us may fear. We need to learn how to name it and identify it when we feel it. Because we cannot fight what we do not know. Now, can I just clarify something here real quickly before we move on from this point? I just want to clarify this, and maybe it doesn't need to be clarified, but just just go with me for just a moment. We don't identify and name the fear so that we can simply accept it and embrace the fear in our lives. So that we can just say, this is my fear. So I've got to learn to live with it. As if to say, now that I know what it is, I can accept what it is. I can accept it in my life, and I can embrace this fear in my life. But hear me, friends, hear me, please. We don't identify and name our fears so that we can accept our fears, so that we can learn to design our lives around our fears. We identify and name our fears so that we can ultimately take those fears and submit it under the lordship and the sovereignty of God so that we can submit it under the power of Jesus who reigns over these fears. We don't identify it and name it so that we can just say, I I, I think in our our world today, we are a a society of self-diagnoses. We love to self-diagnose ourselves and say, this is it, this is what I have, aha, I got it, now I can accept it, now I can learn to live with it. See, fear is not does not work that way. There is a place to acknowledge the fear. That's the whole point of this point. We got to name and identify the fear, but you gotta ask the deeper question: why are we doing that? It's not so that we can learn to live with it. It's so that we can see, so so that we can say, when that fear begins to creep up and rear its ugly head in our lives. We know exactly what that is. We say, aha, That I see you, I know what you are, now I'm going to take you and put you where you belong under the reign and lordship of Jesus in my life. I'm not going to let fear rule my life. Rather, I'm going to let the sovereignty of God rule my life. The Bible says, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. That's not what God gave you. That's not the kind of God you serve. You've not been given a spirit of fear, but you've been given a spirit of power and of love and of sound mind. Do you think Paul had it in his mind to say, hey, I want you guys to know what you fear so that you can learn to live with it, so that you can learn to accept it in your life? No, he says, I want you to know what it is so that you know who you, ra- who you submit yourself to. Not that fear, but to the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of sound mind. Do you think there's a reason why the Bible instructs us 365 different times, fear not. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't walk in fear. Don't be afraid. Identifying and naming our fears is only the first step to moving in that direction. Identifying and naming our fears leads us to that place of saying, okay, I see it, I understand it, now I know what to do with it. But here's here's the next step to this process. After identifying and naming the fear, we've gotta learn to take small steps of faith. Take small steps of faith. Here's some good news, friends. You don't need to take giant leaps of faith this morning. You don't need to long jump your faith or pole vault your way through life when it comes to faith. All you need to do is take small steps of faith as often as you can. Did you notice it took a bunch of little small steps to get Gideon out of the wine press and onto the battlefield? His life did not change under the terebinth tree of Oprah when the angel of the Lord showed up and said, hey, Gideon, you're the guy, I'm sending you. He didn't take this one giant leap of faith and says, here I am, God, send me, you got the right guy, let's go, let's move forward. No, no, no. it took him several long, small steps along the way for him to get to a place where he says, okay, I think I'm battle ready. By the way, two things will happen when you do this, when you take these small steps of faith as often as you can. The more often you take small steps of faith, the less these fears in your life will have a hold on you. When you you walk in faith, fear begins to lose its grip on your life. It is just a natural byproduct of walking in faith. In a lot of ways, you don't even need to fight the fear. You just need to learn how to walk in faith. Because when we walk in faith, fear begins to loosen its grip on our lives. But the second thing is, as as you take these small steps of faith the bigger leaps of faith will come. They will. Trust me when I say, the bigger leaps of faith will come, and when they do, those leaps won't seem so daunting anymore. Those leaps of faith that you thought, oh man, I can never do that. Gideon's thinking to himself, I can never defeat the Midianites. Look at my clan, it's the weakest. Look at me, I'm the least. Things that you deem as just unsurmountable. These, these mountains that you cannot conquer because you have taken these small steps of faith along the way, all of these daunting leaps of faith don't seem as daunting anymore. As Jesus has once said, because you've been faithful with a little, I'll entrust you with more. We've got to learn to take small steps of faith as often as we can. We need to learn to walk before we run, and that's okay. Learn to take small steps of faith as often as you can. And lastly, worship through your fear. Worship through your fear. Now, this might sound like an odd point, but, but, but hear me. Let me just close with this one last point here. Worship through your fear. When I say worship, now, I don't, I don't necessarily mean sing. Okay? That may work some days. <laughs> just kind of singing your way through fear, uh, that, that may work. But I'm not talking about singing exclusively, though singing is included in worship. When I say worship, when I say worship, I mean make God big in your life. Make God everything to you. Make God everything in your life. Choose to see all of life through the grandeur and the greatness of who God is. In other words, in other words. Don't make God a secondary issue or a tertiary issue. Make him the whole issue. (laughs) Don't make God a footnote in your story. Make your story about him. Make God big in your life. Make God everything in your life. Because here's what will happen. When you worship, God will naturally become big in your life. That's what worship is. That's what happens in worship. Worship isn't about us. We're not worshiping ourselves. We're not saying, I am the lion and the lamb, you know, like I'm the one who conquers. And it's like we're, we're getting our eyes upward and fixed on who God is, his greatness, his grandeur. That's what worship is. And when we worship, God will naturally become big in your life. And when God becomes big in your life, your fears become smaller. When God becomes grand in your life, your fears take its rightful place. I want you to see this one little small verse in, in Judges chapter 7, verse Fifteen. Now, you, you, if you could turn there if you'd like. We'll put it up here on the screen in just a moment. But leading up to this verse, there was an exchange between Gideon and one of his army guys. And that exchange was about a, a dream that God gave to this man. Now, remember, there were there moments before taking, uh, you know, siege of the Midianites and moving out into battle against the Midianites. And Gideon is in this moment of still kind of t- turmoil and wrestling back and forth with his fear so this is game time, right? Like his, his adrenaline is moving and his nerves are in high alert. And, and, the, and one of his army guys, he comes to Gideon and he has this sort of verbal exchange. And that exchange was about a dream that God gave to this guy. He gave, the, he gave this dream to this man. And, and the message of the, the dream was essentially that God was going to hand the victory over to Gideon and the Israelites... And they were going to win the battle against the Midianites. And in verse 15, we read this. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, look at what he did. He worshipped. He worshipped. In the midst of all of his fears, in the midst of all of his doubts, in the midst of all of his worries and anxieties, he chose to make much of God in this moment. He worshipped. And then and then look at what he does next. And then he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. Oh, I get goosebumps when I read that. Arise, men of Israel, arise. For the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. That doesn't sound like the same Gideon that we found in the wine press just. One chapter ago, how, what's going on here, right? Like how, that, how did Gideon make such a 180 turn? That's what worship does. Worship does that. When we make God big in our lives, our fears grow smaller. When we make God everything in our lives, the fear that we deemed at one point as everything becomes nothing. Arise. Let's go. Now's the time. When worship becomes central, and worship becomes our driving posture, oh God, you're big, you're great, you're everything to me. All of a sudden, fears become much smaller. So I ask you again this morning, church family, what do you fear? What do you fear? I could have a whole therapy session on just that one question alone, and not for you, but for me. (laughs) There are things that I'm gripped with when it comes to fear in my own heart and in my own life. If you're curious to dig into that, take me out for coffee and I'll share it with you. But it's your treat because I'm sharing my story. Okay, But, but that, what do you fear? What do you fear? Friends, whether you're in the wilderness or you're hiding out in a wine press somewhere or whether you're tempted to test God with a, Fleece, or whether you're face-to-face with a giant, massive army before you, when God presents those opportunities to respond to him with either faith or fear, brothers and sisters, I pray that our response to God might always, always, always be one of faith.